parameters. Player code established. Welcome to the program. A production of TheMetalRobot.com Nobody cares about the robot gimmick! Just start the fucking show already! Ugh. Humans are determined assholes. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Initializing post-playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. The podcast about all things metal and everything in between. And it's my fucking birthday, bitches! Damn right, I'm 25 years old now. I know, people think I'm in my 30s, but really, that's a compliment. Still, that doesn't change the fact that we have a great show for you today. JMO of Splintered Throne returns for part two of our conversation from the previous episode. Greg Schwann joins us for the first time to talk about the Holy Water EP from his project Witnesses. It's Doom Metal plus Dracula side characters on the menu tonight. In the Metal News Recap, the Black Dahlia Murder have figured out if they will continue as a band. Also, Marilyn Manson's legal troubles have only just begun. But coming up in a few short moments, the devil wears Prada. But he's also bringing on Color Decay with a new TDWP album and a request from you, plus more releases from this past week. All this and more, so let's not waste much more time and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. It's showtime. The opening act is about to begin. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Tom McKay here. And yes, it was my birthday actually a few days ago. And yes, some people actually thought I was in my 30s. It must be something to do with the voice. Who knows? But thank you to everybody who gave me birthday wishes on the past Saturday. I really do appreciate it. The memes were great. The random Shrek dick pics, not so much. But still, glad I was able to have some fun. And we also have some fun stuff right now as we look at some of last week's new releases, one of which actually was a request from you sent over through my email, which... As always, if you have any albums you want me to talk about on future episodes of the podcast, send me an email, tmckay at themetalrobot.com. That's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. Don't add an extra A to my last name. Don't do Gmail. It'll just bounce. Or you can reach out on my socials, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram at The Dot Metal Robot. Now, without further ado, let's take a look at what we've got. The Devil Wears Prada and their new album, Color Decay. I've actually enjoyed their music for quite some time. They were actually pretty early on in my metalhead upbringing with their Dead Throne album. And of course, we can't forget about 818, the zombie EP, and just... Yeah, these guys are really good. Then they kind of started to suck afterwards. Okay, not really, but Transit Blues felt like a step down for me. It didn't really hit as strong as their previous output had. They definitely come back a bit with the act in 2019, but I couldn't tell you what that album offered if I tried. So with Color Decay, I can only really expect the same thing or hope for the best. And... Oh... Yeah, that's the stuff. Well, okay, it's not the best album of all, but this was a huge step up. First of all, Mike Frenica's vocals are stellar as always. Mike's vocals have always been really great for this project, but since 818, he'd been focusing on keeping the teeth and bringing on the feels. And it's been working great for him. I do miss the low gutturals of Dead Throne, but at the same time, I can't help but feel Mike's lyrics more with his vocal approach. Also, of course, all the instrumentation on this album is great as well. They have been diving a bit further into the electronic aspect of metalcore that most metalheads tend to run away from faster than Century Media running away from Vector. More on that later in the show. But it actually works for these guys. True, they'd always had that aspect of them, but even now, they still try to keep the rough around the edges approach that early hardcore was almost known for. It's a great sound and vibe overall, front to back. I did notice though that this album is, mm, how do I put this, less heavy? It's hard to explain, but again, I jumped on the TDWP bandwagon around Dead Throne and 818. They're arguably heaviest records, if of course you're not counting the Zombie EP, which is a fucking black hole of heavy metalcore. So listening to Color Decay, it almost feels like they're dialing back on the heavy in favor of slower and softer songs. Sure, there are still heavy moments like with Watchtower, but you also get songs like Broken and Salt that are straight up ballads or as close as you can possibly 
possibly get, and that is a tone that lingers throughout this album. Is this still better than what they'd been doing previously? With Transit Blues in their rear view? Hell yeah, it's better. Is this the best in their catalog? Hell no. I wouldn't even say this is the best metalcore album of this year, far from it. But at the same time, if you're looking for a metalcore album that's not total shit and actually still holds on to some of those early hardcore roots, then you couldn't go wrong with this one. 13 out of 15, I do hope they can bring back some heavy in the future, but it's good to know these guys aren't entirely lost. Dirty melodic death metal from Germany in the form of Battle Swords Towards the Unknown. What can I say about this album that'll really hammer home the point of this being a heavy as Hulk balls album? Well, I guess blistering riffs and solos front to back is a good place to start. Holy shit, from the opening of The Awakening, Axemen, Eric, and Lars bombard you with such ferocity and teeth-cutting riffage that you almost can't help but get stank-faced the entire time. This is straight thrash territory. Shit, I'd even say this is way more death metal than MDM. But with the infusion of the melody in the riffs, plus the lead work bringing in a strong melody to hold on to each moment, the MDM label is still justified. But I do mean it. They lean heavily on the DM aspect of MDM, and it's old school with it too, not just in terms of the production and the mixing, which feels just as old school, but listening through Towards the Unknown is like a blast of late 80s and early 90s European death metal. The promo suggested that this band is for fans of Ill Disposed, Deserted Fear, Amana Marth, and really any form of Swedish death metal. And goddammit, that's more obvious and accurate than that one time Gene Simmons said he had no friends. True story, by the way, just broke today at the time of recording this. Though to be fair, these guys have been around since the early 2000s, so they basically grew up on that shit. How old school? You can hear Ben's bass, and it's great! Plus, with the strong foundation of Andreas's drums, everything holds together in a death metal fury. The dude's cymbal work is really what's great to pay attention to here. He's keeping things fairly basic with his fills and beats, but give him the chance to cut loose on those cymbals, and he'll show you how much he loves smacking the shit out of them. You can't forget about Axel's vocals, of course. He's not doing anything terribly different from most old-school death metal, but you can still feel the power and throat-cutting style he's got. I legit grabbed my throat a couple of times during this. I mean, I can do some sweet growls, but even I'm listening to this and wishing to learn from the masters. Battlesword have created an album that is clearly geared towards a specific audience, but I dare to say that you don't have to already be an MDM fan to get into this music. Yes, it's not Arch Enemy or The Halo Effect, but that's exactly what I like about it. Don't get me wrong, I love modern MDM, but you don't get much of that old-school flair anymore, which, ironically, helps them stand out more in this genre. Plus, with the emphasis on the death metal aspect of melodic death metal, it helps this be one of the heaviest MDM records of the year thus far. And you know what's funny? There's the stereotype that German metalers have the heavier music compared to all Western metal music combined. Acts like Rammstein, Creator, and Blind Guardian have helped perpetuate this stereotype, and you know what? Metal Sword aren't proving it wrong by any stretch of the imagination, and you know what, I'm happy for that. It's not going to be for everyone, but my god, with a 14.5 out of 15, I'll be returning to this one frequently. Keep it up, guys. So this is the request I mentioned, Toxicon Be The Fire and Wish For The Wind, requested by the band themselves to my email. The band is an Australian hybrid metal band? the hell is hybrid metal? Well, listening to the album gave me my answer. It's kind of thrash metal, melodic death metal, groove metal, metalcore, hardcore, maybe second wave new metal all rolled up into one. I don't know what it's supposed to be, to be quite honest, but it's good, so who gives a shit? Great production overall, the instruments are clear and well-recorded and sit great in the mix alongside the vocals, which also, the vocals are the reason why the hardcore part is here. Wayne Claris's screams and growls are raw and teeth-cutting, and his clean singing just as much much, almost to the point where you can't tell the difference between the two, which is fucking sick. And his performance is just as strong as the rest of the members. Bart Walters and Adam S. Busty's riffing brings in that classic metalcore sound while also taking in some MTM with the leads and solos. Jacob Maloney's bass is a bit harder to hear, but in some cases that can actually be a good thing. Not a shot against bass players, but if I'm not hearing you fucking up, then you get a pass. Somehow that's still a shot against the bass player. Is there any way to phrase that without being a fricker?
No idea. Anyways, the drums done by Thomas Noonan are really good too. Much like Battlesword though, he's not doing anything fancy in the fill work, but he's holding the foundation strong to keep everything in line, which is always great to hear. Their powers combined has created a solid musical experience here on Be the Fire and Wish for the Wind. Each song flows well between each other naturally. Nothing felt forced at any point, and it progressed nicely across the entire album. I will say some of the songs are a bit longer than I feel they needed to be, but even then, the length didn't hurt the song somehow. Like, it's weird to explain. On one hand, you don't need to have 8-minute songs in this style, but on the other hand, they didn't feel too long or needlessly wanky like most super long songs tend to be. So that's always good to hear. I don't know, depends on who you are. But overall, if you want something cool to check out that has almost everything you could want out of a metal record, then a solid 14 out of 15 for Toxicon will do you just fine. So here's an interesting one. Assimilator is actually formerly Death on Fire. Now, I reviewed their album Ghost Songs briefly on my YouTube series 10 Second Purge back when that came out, and I don't remember having too many bad thoughts on that. I thought it was pretty good, but recently they rebranded, according to the press release, quote, to better suit the new musical direction. What is that new musical direction, you might ask? Well, with their self-titled album, it's not too different from what they were doing before. I mean, there are some differences, it's a bit old school in comparison to the death metal they were offering previously, and I mean that in every sense of the word. These guys apparently are influenced by the likes of thrash metal, old school death metal, new wave of British heavy metal, and even the Gultenberg scene of the mid to late 90s. What is Gultenberg, you ask? I asked that too. Here's what I found. Yep, it's basically old-school Swedish death metal. In Flames was apparently one of the pioneers of that too. Oh, how far they'd fallen since then. Anyways, yeah, Assimilator seems to be taking influence from that style. Lots of heavy pulsing riffs injected with melody as you'd expect with the bass chugging along strongly with it. The vocals are also sweet as well. It was one of the things that I liked a lot about Death on Fire, and I'm glad they kept that aspect with them. But dude, can we talk about the drums? Like in most cases, they're not doing anything different, but then check this shit out on Burial Hymns. That's a straight-up disco-style beat on a death metal song. That's awesome! Plus, with some aspects being something even early new metal kids can get into, this album actually has quite a bit to offer. It does have a bad habit of blending together after a bit, but when it stands out, it really stands out. I will miss Death on Fire, but if this is the direction the DOF guys are going nowadays, I can hardly complain. 12 out of 15, it could be better, but this is an album you need to check out and a band you need to keep your ears to the ground on. And that's it for reviews. Like I said earlier, send your emails to tmckay at themetalrobot.com or you can reach out on my socials for any albums you would like covered on the podcast or on the main YouTube show. Coming up, what does Doom Metal have to do with the side characters from Bram Stoker's Dracula? I sit down with Greg Schwann of Witnesses to figure that out right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. wanted to take metal robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead? I charged this last night! For fuck's sakes! <laughs> Well, we can't solve a bad phone battery. You can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. I'm just a troll. Like, I just I just don't give a, a crap. Can I say that? Uh, honestly, I've been saying fuck this entire time, so by <laughs> all means. MRP Throwbacks. Only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. 15 plus artists, multiple cultures, multiple languages, one almost unpronounceable name. Homoyoisios, homoy mother, what the fuck does it say? It's pronounced homoyoisios. How? There's 20 O's! It's Latin, what'd you expect? The ultimate collaboration project of 2022. Homoyoisios, a symphonic, death, blackened, thrashing, grooving core fest. Welcome back to the show. Let's keep the energy going, but slower with some doom metal. 
You see, a couple of months ago, a multi-instrumentalist Greg Schwann released the Holy Water EP under the doom metal project Witnesses. And the EP has more to it than just sludging, slow-plotting doom metal, as it also depicts the characters Lucy Westenra and Mina Harker of Bram Stoker's Dracula from different perspectives. Though not Dracula himself, interestingly enough. So to talk about that, the EP, and so much more, I sat down with Greg Schwann, who you'll come to find out by listening to him speak that he's a multi-instrumentalist by day and by night does all the voice work for James Woods. No, seriously, I can't unsee cartoon Hades telling me about doom metal and Dracula. It's nuts. A little dark, a little gloomy, and as always, hey, full of dead people. What are you going to do? So here we go, right here on the Metal Robot Podcast, Greg Schwann of Witnesses. All right, Greg, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. That's good to hear. So welcome to the show. Before we get started here with anything else, tell me a bit more about witnesses. Tell me more about the band, how it all started, et cetera, et cetera. Usual generic introduction stuff. Yeah, sure. No problem. I mean, the, the, the first thing I normally say is that it's not really a band. It's more of a project and not, not in any kind of like cool way or like, okay. it's not, you know, it's, it's not like some jazz project or something sophisticated. It's just the fact of the matter is, is that it's really just me. And then I, I fill out things that I can't do with session musicians. For example, I'm not a singer. I can't sing at all. Um, I'm not a drummer. Um, so I hire session musicians where I need them. And pretty much I write, arrange everything. Um, and then they kind of add their parts, right? Like I don't, I don't hire session, session musicians and tell them what to play. Um, I think that's kind of silly. Because uh, if you, you hire talented people, you should give them space. Um, but at the same time, like it, it's really not a band. There's no rehearsal. There's no band practice. There's no live shows. That would be a logistical nightmare. And I'm really not interested anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but it started in uh, 2015 or 16. I can't really recall. And it's, it's kind of like, it's cross genre, meaning, you know, witnesses, I, I, I reserve the right to release whatever the heck I want. Right. Um, but it has focused on kind of three main areas. Uh, one being like what I call this kind of cinematic atmospheric music. Um, a fancy way of saying it is that like a soundtrack that doesn't actually have a movie with it. Okay. Um, and then I do uh, doom metal, which um, I don't know. Some people call it like post doom and alt doom. I don't really know what those words mean. It's doom metal to me. Right. Um, and then I also like to mess around with like really sparse acoustics. I don't really, again, this is another thing. I don't really know what neo folk means, but um, maybe that's something like that. So all my releases kind of fall in one of those three camps. Um, that, well, labels at, at that point, once you start putting labels on anything, really, it starts to kind of get a little uh, out there. You start trying to figure out, okay, well, this must be like uh, neoclassical folk, symphonic, doom, uh, God, fuck. Uh, you know? <laughs> so it just it gets overly complicated. And it let's does. be honest, the metal tree is already complicated enough. Uh, I'm, have you seen any, if you've ever looked it up, have you seen those pictures that show like the metal genre tree? Showing like the branching paths of where everything goes. Yeah. And I probably gave up at that point when I saw Yeah, it gets a little fucking nuts. So yeah. I don't blame it, you for that one. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. Like I think I think genre is helpful to give people an idea of what they're in for, but you know, too much specificity is just it gets silly in my opinion. Kind of like what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but let's talk about the name witnesses. Where mm -hmm. did that come from? Is there like a background to it or is it just uh you know, you put it like a uh, band name generator and that was the first one that came up. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember, honestly. Um, I, band names for me are kind of like guitars, right? Like just like guitars have to look cool, band names just have to sound cool. Right. Um, and that's all. I, I don't remember any, it doesn't, it doesn't um, point to any deeper philosophy or meaning or anything like that. I just like the ring that it had to it. I thought it was, I guess I would say it's kind of ambiguous, right? Like, you hear that project, it's, it's, it could be anything. Um, I mean, clearly not like old school death metal or anything like, I guess it could be. Um, but I guess I kind of like that ambiguity of it. It, 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 it kind of consistent with the genre a bit. It gives me flexibility to kind of do what I want um, because it doesn't really give the listener any indication of what they're in for. I think there's, I looked it up. I mean, I looked up to see like what other bands might be called that because it's hard to be original at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah, totally, right? And I think there's like an old school punk band and maybe like an old jazz ensemble that had the name, but it seems safe. 
to, to still use it anyway. And that's really the story of it. A lot of the, um, a lot of the music, yeah, as we were talking about, it can classify in many different ways, but Doom seems to be the main returning point. What are some mm-hmm. of the inspirations that you have for when you're writing the music? Yeah. Um, so I think your question kind of exposes like the little bit of complexity there, right? Because it kind of varies depending on from, from whatever genre I tend to be doing at the time. Um, but I, you're right. I think the focus right now is mainly on the, the doom metal side, though that could change. I, I really, I can't, you know, you can't control it, right? Like you sit down and you're like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to write this. I'm going to focus on doom now. And then you're like, nah, screw it. Then you pick up the keyboard and do something totally different or something. But uh, for me, it all kind of starts with the Peaceville three, um, most specifically Anathema and My Dying Bride. Um, not because of anything against Paradise Lost. It just happens to be those are the two that I gravitated towards the most when I was in high school and discovering all this stuff. Um, and then from there, like it just branches out. I mean, I don't, um, I don't know, like from there, it, it could be anything. Um, Alice in Chains it could be shape of despair. Like there's, there's, you can, I can just take little bits and pieces from all types of bands that I've loved over the years um, and, and bring them in or, you know, not music at all. Um, you know, it could, it could be something from literature. It could be something from movies. I like to reference movies in my lyrics a lot. Um, and I like to tell stories, which is in fact something that I kind of like look up to Nick Cave more than anyone for. Um, so it's a lot. It's a lot of different stuff. But I, I suspect like to give you the most like succinct answer I can, I probably never, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing were it not for a bride and anathema back in the day. You know what I mean? All right. So. Uh, let's get into the next one, because we were talking about for a second there about uh, literature inspirations, which brings me to the Holy Water EP, which is due mm-hmm. out July 15th, which depicts the characters of uh, Lucy Westenra, West I'm going to pr- try to pronounce that, <laughs> and <laughs> Mina Harker from yeah. uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and from different perspectives, this is according to the promo that was sent That's out right. with the EP. Yeah. Now, what made you want to tell the story of these characters who, I haven't read the book, they could be very important characters, but... They're obviously not the name characters. Mm-hmm. What made you want to tell the story about them? Uh, thanks for the question. So um, there's, a, there's a small label called Euphoriatic uh, run by a person named DB, uh, who I'm friends with. And they asked me if I wanted to appear on a, a compilation called uh, Strange and Unusual Sounds Volume 2, which came out, I want to say, two months ago. And, and I was asked to do this like in October or November. And I said, well, I'd love to, and I don't have any music ready. Um, and not only that, but the compilation had a theme of monsters. And so, you know, there's a couple of monsters that I think are, are really cool. Right. And, and I guess we all do, right. We all saw some movies as a kid that left some big impression on us and you can't be Dracula. Right. But then I said, that's, that's not that original. That's not that fun. Um, but if you, if you read Stoker, even if you just watch Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula from the nineties, uh, Lucy kind of becomes a monster, uh, ultimately. And she's also a pretty rich metaphor for, um, I, I guess what you would maybe call like the advancement of sexual liberation in the 19th century or something like that. Um, and I said, wow, she kind of becomes this monster and you can kind of interpret that one way, but what if I just turned it on its head and interpreted it totally differently? Uh, and that she was actually more of like a heroic figure who preyed on the rich and powerful. Um, and I said, okay, why not? <laughs> you know, no rules. Like that sounds fun. That's interesting. I've never really seen that take. And then, so that was, that was Borgo Pass. And then it was an experiment. I had never done Doom with female vocals yet, even though I'd worked with Gabby Conan a bunch of times. Um, and, and then I said, man, this song needs a compliment. I like this. Uh, and so then I said, well, I've started with Lucy. Why don't I do Mina? Um, and then I, I turned Mina around because she is so, sort of this like different figure in, in the literature and in the movie where she's kind of this like, I don't want to say damsel in distress, but I kind of want to at the same time. She's kind of like this tragic figure or something like that. And I said, wait a second. What if she's more villainous? Like what if she's in control of Dracula? Um, so I'm just playing with it, right? And trying to do something different. Um, and that's, that's, that's the origin of it. And I haven't read Stoker in many years. So nothing I'm doing is like academically rigorous or anything like that. Maybe it's more inspired by Coppola's take than anything, but that's it. That's, it was just all happenstance. I got asked to do a song. I said, why don't I just have some fun with this? And then I gave birth to a second song and I had just really had a lot of confidence 
uh, in it, and I thought it sounded great. And with uh, Gabby's contribution, she's uh, she's described as a longtime contributor with uh, a collaborator with this project. Yeah. How, how did you meet her? How did this come uh, collaboration come about? Internet. I found her online. as it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found her online. Um, she was, I heard her, I heard, you know, and it's one of these things where like when you're looking for a, um, when you're looking for someone to collaborate with, you can probably pretty much tell within listening to what they do within five seconds, whether it's going to work, whether it's someone you want to pursue further. Um, and so I think within five, 10 seconds of hearing whatever I heard of hers, I don't know if it was her original music or some other collaboration she had done. I said, wow, I gotta, I gotta I get in contact with this person. Uh, the first thing we did was on uh, Witnesses 3. She appears maybe two or three times there. Uh, then we did, she appears on the Poltergeist 1 EP, which is like the kind of acoustic guitar driven stuff. And she appears on 4. And so we'd never done metal before. And look, I like, you know, in the 90s, like you think of bands like Third and the Mortal and stuff. And I, I love that sound. And I'm not saying that the Holy Water piece sounds like Third and the Mortal at all. Um, but at the same time, it can still be an inspiration, if not a direct influence. And so I said, wow, Gabby's really like cool to work with. She's open-minded. I think this might fly. And so we did it as, and I didn't know, you know, I, was, I just reached out to her and said, Hey, I have this new thing, you know, it's metal. I know that's not something you've probably done before, but do you want to give it a shot? She said, sure. So this is our fourth collaboration, which is kind of a lot. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely become a staple, I think, with uh, the Witnesses project in general. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to stop right there. That was part one of my sit down with Mike Torino of Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Wait, sorry, wrong wrong notes. Greg Schwann of Witnesses. The Holy Water EP is available now wherever you get your favorite music. You can stream it or you can buy it through the links in the podcast description. He'll be back next week so we can get to know more about Witnesses and to get to know Greg on a deeper level beyond the character of James Woods. I'm, okay, I'm done with that joke. I'm done. Don't go anywhere. J-Mo of Splintered Throne returns turns to keep talking about the new heavy metal album, The Greater Good of Man, including how one of the songs on the album is only on the album because Lisa Mann added her vocals and turned it into something amazing. But first, our weekly metal news recap right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. This week's metal news recap is brought to you by My Sanity. Everything is so depressing! Why?! To stay up to date with the latest in the metal scene, check out TheMetalRobot.com for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. Now, back into the podcast. Presented by TheMetalRobot.com, this is MRE News. Okay, let's get into the news of the previous week. There were some interesting stuff, some cool stuff, some weird stuff, and hilarious stuff. And let's start with whatever the fuck this is. So Tommy Lee thinks that you're going to pay $20 to see his dog. And I don't say that because I'm his pimp who wants you to pay the equivalent of two McDonald's runs. It's because he recently announced an OnlyFans for anybody who wants to clap old man cheeks. Let me explain. So not too long ago, Tommy Lee posted a photo of himself being let's say extra confident in his manhood to his various social media accounts. We actually covered this on the show back then, but of course, as you'd expect, those photos, much like Pamela Anderson's dignity in the late 90s, didn't stay up for long as they were taken down for obvious terms of service reasons. But dong dingling if that didn't peeve the drummer so much. So on the last show of the Motley Crue Stadium tour in Las Vegas, the drummer decided to go on a bit of a rant about how social media is so restricting. They showed you my shit, they took it down off the internet. No more dicks, no more titties. Yeah, those free social media sites that kids can also get on, they are so restricting. They suck for taking down my schlong. Though to be fair, Twitter is actually way more lenient when it comes to porn or adult photos, which is why if you go looking for it, for whatever reason, then you can see it still up on his Twitter page. But still, even then, Meta took down the post on Facebook and Instagram. So what is there to do but start an OnlyFans? That was the announcement that he made, and he did so by pulling down his pants and mooning the crowd to show the words only and fans on each wrinkled cheek. You see all my shit over there. Okay, A, 
nobody wants to see your shit. It didn't work for Two Girls One Cup, it sure as shit's not gonna work for you. And B, I know you're famous and some people would actually pay for that, but I'm sorry, who the fuck has $20 to pay for a 60-year-old man going through a midlife crisis? By the way, to clarify, that's $20 that I'm seeing here in Canada. If you go to Metal Sucks, they're reporting $40. Either way, that's a lot more than one should be paying for this kind of stuff. My God. The only way forward is from within, is the reason the Black Dahlia murder is giving right now. If you're not caught up, the band's vocalist Trevor Sternad passed away not too long ago at the age of 41. It caught a lot of people by surprise, as we had no indication there was anything wrong, and as a result there was an outpour of sadness and support for the band and their families. But obviously, the question then arises. What is a band to do? Trevor was a founding member of the band. He's been there for every single album from the start. His voice is iconic with the band. Some bands, as a result of stuff like this, usually struggle with this decision as continuing comes with a huge risk. Now, there are some bands like Avenged Sevenfold who flourish with these kinds of risks, but others, like Drowning Pool, can't seem to keep it up and have actually gotten dumber over time. Oh god. But still, that question has come up for the Black Dahlia murder, saying in an interview with Decibel, quote, We spent many days thinking things like, is this over? None of us wanted it to be over. We still feel like there is a lot left to do. But for them, they felt that they could keep going. And actually should. Brian Eschbach, their guitarist, has moved over to taking over on vocal duties while they brought back Ryan Knight, who left the band in 2016, to take over on guitars once again. Brian went on to say in that interview, quote, When we finally started talking about it, we thought, let's remake it from within and see if Ryan wants to return. And I'll take a crack on the vocals and see how that goes. I can't go out there and do Trevor's voice or try to be. Him. I can only execute the music of the Black Dahlia murder with respect and try to do it the most justice I can. And we can only hope this goes well for them. They actually have a show coming up late October in Detroit at St. Andrew's Hall. The show's being billed as, quote, a celebration of the life and legacy of Trevor Scott Sternad, and will be the first showcase of the reformed lineup. They'll be performing with Darkest Hour and Plague Years, and if you want tickets, they're available now through the podcast description. So we thought Tommy Lee was overconfident. Wait until you hear this one. Dave Mustaine recently said in an interview with Classic Rock that of the three main original members of Metallica, he claims that he was the alpha male of the group. The interviewer, Paul Elliott, about halfway through the interview, asked about something he found in Dave's autobiography that he thought was weird, which was Dave claiming that he was the leader of Metallica when he was in the band. Which doesn't sound right, seeing as he was the one who's kicked out, but I digress. Dave said, why is that strange? To which Paul said, because the guys who founded that band, James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich, are such alpha males. And what did Dave say in response? Quote, Oh no, I am clearly the alpha male between the three of us, said the frizzy old grumpy grandpa. No, but okay, to be fair, all three have the contender for alpha male in that group. They're all loud, obnoxious, and full of themselves. It's a perfect three-way tie. He goes on to say, quote, Why did I have to do everything when I was in the band? Why did they always ask me to talk to the promoters and collect the cash? Why was I the one who had to do the fighting? Why did I have to talk in between songs? But actually, if you ask the original bass player, Ron McGovney, he would say otherwise. Dave talked to the promoters? Collected the cash? James didn't play guitar before Metallica? That's not how I remember those days. Just the opposite, actually. Honestly, it's kind of hard to tell who's telling the truth here, but given the fact that Dave is the kind of guy to kick guitar techs down for daring to do their job while the guitar god is playing, it's not hard for me to believe that he's more of just an asshole than an alpha. Let's be real. Why does no one like you? Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay, here's an interesting one. So, space thrash metal band Vector had a hell of a week last week. Can you guess why? Well, to start, after six years on hiatus, they have finally returned. And to commemorate the occasion, they got signed to massive label Century Media Records. For two days before they were quickly dropped. Not even a reason for it either. Just a picture post that says, quote, Effective immediately, Century Media has decided to part ways with Vector. That's it. Eleven words and not even a noun in sight. Oof, they did them dirty. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, again, there was no explanation for the actual drop, but the announcement that Vector was returning brought on mixed reactions, though mostly a lot of outrage towards the band. 
Not because they don't like the band, they still have one of the best thrash metal albums of 2016 with Terminal Redux. It's more to do with who's still in the fucking lineup. David DeSanto. You see, a few years ago, a video surfaced from his wife showing him, I shit thee not, throwing her across a room, throwing a pillow at her and loudly verbally berating her. This was apparently because, quote, he let his dog go to the bathroom in the house and was refusing to clean it up, including a separate photo showing a door with four holes in it, to which she was reminded, quote, it could have been my face. Holy shit. Like, I could have stopped at him doing an NFL spiral of a human being across a room and you'd still think he should be buried under the prison. And yes, that was three years ago, but it still leaves a bad taste in one's mouth. Like that one time you accidentally drank Labatt Blue from the sweaty dude across the hall. So the fact that he's still in the band, even with the return, yeah, you can understand why people were pissed. I'm just gonna say it. David is a problem, a tumor that the band needs removed as soon as possible if they want to stand a chance of making it. Look, I know his voice and guitar work made the band's sound, but if DeSanto isn't thrown out of the band the same way he threw his wife, that's a stigma that you'll never be able to get rid of, and it will follow this band forever, even if he's changed. I can say for certain that if I was a label head, even I wouldn't want to be associated with a wife beater. The Brian Wardner matter is still under investigation by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and has not yet been submitted to our office. Hey, speaking of, remember the Marilyn Manson rape allegation clusterfuck? Welp, it's not over yet. To summarize, after he filed a countersuit against Evan Rachel Woods for all the shit she said against him, going on in the background was the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department conducting a proper investigation into the matter, and is still ongoing, but it may be coming to an end soon. A statement made by the Los Angeles DA showed that we could see something later this month. The district attorney is committed to investing in trauma-informed care for all victims of sexual assault, abuse, and intimate partner violence. He then goes on to talk about how hard it can be for people to come forward with these allegations, especially when it comes to someone like Marilyn Manson being the abuser, so they'll be treating all of this seriously and claim to be dedicated to treating all victims with the highest level of care and respect. But in terms of the case itself, once we have received the case, it will be carefully evaluated by an experienced prosecutor to determine if it is appropriate to file charges at this time. We're hopeful that the LASD will present the case to us sometime this month. So by the sounds of it, Manson isn't out of the woods yet. We don't know if the case will get taken up and actually brought into court, but until we know more, we'll just have to keep our ears to the ground. Okay, and that's it for the news of the week. Yes, this was all last week, but especially with the Vector story, it's important that we still talk about it. I mean, yes, it's still kind of funny that Vector got picked up and then dropped like a baby with gout, but the circumstances are still worth talking about. And I think that it's very important that we really, really make sure that we are still keeping an eye on this story and understanding that no matter who they are, they should not be in the band if they are a problem. If Glenn Fricker is even saying this, I think it's worth really considering. Aside from all that, of course, you can check out TheMetalRobot.com for more news and press that can be found throughout the week. Don't go anywhere. Splintered Throne will join us in just a moment. This is The Metal Robot Podcast. Looking to stay up to date on all things Metal Robot? No, not really. What? Why? I don't listen to metal. How are you listening to this podcast? I thought it was Joe Rogan. We're going to pretend he didn't say that. Follow the show wherever you tread on social media. Facebook and Twitter. At The Metal Robot. Instagram. At The Dot Metal Robot. You can even join the Metal Robot Discord server. We have fun there. Links to all of that and more in the description of this podcast. Follow now. Let's open the gates. For Astaroth has risen. And the demon has gone core. Wait, the story is the demon has gone core? I don't get it. Just wait for the drop. What the fuck? From the ashes of ascendance, Astaroth is born again. Enter the world of Sam Astaroth with his new song, Demon Core. Available on all streaming. Music video available on YouTube. Links in the podcast description. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. 
and the Metal Robot Podcast continues this evening. We've got one more interview for you tonight. Last episode, we talked with J-Mo of Splintered Throne about the band, the addition of Lisa Mann on vocal duties, and we talked a little bit about that new album, The Greater Good of Man, which you can check out wherever you listen to music down in the podcast description as well. But now he has returned to talk more about the album, how a specific song not intended for the record still ended up on the record, and what's in the future for the band going forward. So let's wrap up our discussion with Jason, J-Mo Moser of Splintered Throne right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. This album, it has such a strong sound to it that feels a lot like a throwback to a time gone by in the heavy metal world, but also has the tinge of the modern era, it seems. What was the inspiration for the music uh, on this album? And did you find yourself trying to not sit comfortably in one era or the other? Um, the way the way it came about is I had written one or two songs. And as you see, there's a couple tunes that Fred's got some co-writing credits on. Those are the first two that we started writing for the for the album. He left. COVID hit. Um, I remember at two different points, um, I was sent home from work cause I had COVID exposure and I wasn't sick or anything. They just said oh, for two weeks, I'm like, all right. So I sat out here in my studio for two weeks and I played guitar every day for eight hours a day. So those two periods of time, I wrote thousands of riffs, like more riffs than I could have ever used on this record. So, um, they were all over the place. I wrote stuff that was for the band. I wrote stuff that was not for the band. I wrote just anything that came into my head during those, those two periods of time. And I'm, I'm an old school, traditional metal guy. I like my Judas priest and my iron maiden and my, you know, heathen and Testament and stuff. I'm not trying to read. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, it's just, it's not us. We're going to stay and half step down and we're going to play what we want to play. If other people enjoy it, that's great. But at the same time, none of us want to be a dated band. None of us want to be that cliche of like, okay, heard this album a million times. Um, and I, I'm going to probably get some haters for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I love like Exodus, but if I buy that record, I know that it's pretty much going to be a lot of the same stuff all the way through. And, and I, like, again, I love Exodus to death, but I know if I'm buying that album, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting, that's what I'm getting. I like something diverse. I like when I put it on, it's got a flow. It kind of moves. Um, even something like if you go back to like killers by Iron Maiden, which is probably one of my favorite albums of all time. That album's got everything. It's got some flow. It's got some ups. It's got some downs. It's got some, um, it doesn't just bash you over the head for 45 minutes. It, it gives you a little bit of time to breathe. And so when we wrote stuff and decided what riffs were going to make it and what songs were, you know, were, we were feeling, um, those are the ones that came together. Cause there's another five songs that we started and we're like, yeah, it's, we've already done this song or, yeah. um, the funniest thing is the title track, greater good of ma'am. I wrote that song for myself as some, that was never intended for this band. It was, um, really? I like this, yeah, I like this reggae ska punk band called Ballyhoo. They're like my, uh, my guilty pleasure. They're out of Maryland. They're freaking amazing. Um, it is not what I would normally listen to. So I'm like, I want to write a Ballyhoo type tune. And so I wrote this tune. And of course, because I wrote it, it's still got the heavy edge to it. And sure. when I showed Lisa and I said, check, check this out. Ah, she's like, Oh my gosh. The next week she had lyrics to it. <laughs> I said, well, that wasn't really meant for the band. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this song is great. Came the title tracks. So it was how it came about. It was fun. It works. And you know, um, so something you basically wrote in your downtime that was not meant for this group. Lisa just took one listen to it and was like, holy shit, hold on a second. And went back and wrote some lyrics to it. That's fucking awesome. Exactly. And the funny, what's even funnier about that is that's how Garrison and I used to write when, when he moved is we would come up with a song and we would send it to him. And the next week he would come back with lyrics. So the one nice thing about when he moved is instead of all of us being in the same room and, you know, pounding out ideas and, um, you know, However, that, that chemistry works that every musician that listens to this is going to know. Okay, yeah, that's what we do. With, when he moved, we had to learn how to write at a distance like that. And so when the pandemic hit, it was easy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to record shit. I'm going to send it to you. 
and you're going to send it back, and I'm going to send it to this guy and say, hey, what do you think? And then Chris, as electronic drums at his house, we'd send him stuff. He'd, he'd put a beat to it. I'd go, oh, I like this. I like that. Hey, how about trying this? And he would try that. And we wrote, we demoed a lot of this stuff not even being in the same room. And again, it was nice because we didn't have, we didn't have that learning curve. We'd already been through that learning curve. So it made the writing process for it um, a whole lot easier. And do you feel like the writing process for this album was as smooth as you're describing? Or did you, do you think it maybe have taken a bit longer than that? Like how long did it take? Well, it's hard to say because the pandemic kind of screwed a lot of that normal timeline up. I say, I'd say if you didn't have weeks where we couldn't get together and, and weeks where people weren't you know busy and all that kind of stuff, I think probably a good year-ish of writing it. And then we had to get together and play it and massage it out. As a, as a musician, at least for me, I can write as much of a song as I can, but at some point I have to let other people kind of let me know what they think because in my head it sounds great, but I need somebody else's opinion to go, you've already done that riff, or hey, how about changing this up? Or as we're playing it, I'll hear somebody play something different that's maybe not the right way to play it, and I'll go, ooh, ooh I like that picking pattern. I'm going to try that instead. And so that that cohesiveness and that gel um, with everybody in the room is, is really how it gets massaged out and how it you know comes to fruition. So, um, you know, you can't, you can write in a vacuum as much as you want, but when, for me, at least when it comes to band, everybody else's input and, and the way they hear it um, is what makes us splinter throne. Cause I think we definitely have our own sound and it's, it's a combination of how Chris and I work together and how he and Bailey work together as a rhythm section. And then, you know, with Lisa and Matt, now it's a whole different, um, whole different couple of ingredients that just kind of take it to, again, take it to that next level or next chapter or different, whatever you want to call it. And uh, for any future releases, do you think you would continue to do this kind of like distant writing thing or would you rather get back in the studio as a band? Uh, Matt and I are already kicking ideas around in here. No, we, he just lives right down the street. Our wives are best friends. I mean, he's over here all the time. So we're already kicking around harmonies and ideas. And he's the same thing. He's like, he has songs that he won't do in Earth to Ashes. They're a little more uh, progressive and a little more, um, their sounds different than us. So this is, is Matt's vehicle to get out the heavy stuff. I'm okay with that. Um, and again, we, we write with, okay, what's, what's the harmony going to be? Because I can play the riff and if he plays the same one, that's, that's kind of boring. So we want to make it interesting and make it different. So do you have an idea for what's in the future of Splintered Throne? You said you were working on some stuff already. Uh, is there anything fleshed out? Is there anything that you can see a timeline for? What's in the future? We want to play out uh, and play some of this stuff live. That's been the biggest thing. It's tough mm. in our region because, again, there's not a lot of clubs. Um, we have to kind of reinvent ourselves because all the clubs for the most part have changed owners, talent buyers and so on and so forth. Um, so we got, again, we got to get the ball rolling a little bit. Right. Um, we'll probably play on this for, I would say the next, hopefully in the next year and in the next summer, hopefully start grabbing some festivals next year. I think we're going to miss out this year just because of scheduling and the way things have worked out. But if we can get some festivals and get some stuff happening for next year. Um, so if you're a, if you're out there listening and you got a festival, you want us to come, hit us up. Um, and then probably I'm hoping by next fall, winter, we go back and into the writing process. Um, and hopefully we'll have a bunch of ideas and a bunch of stuff demoed. I, I shit you not. I have another hundred, 115, 20 riffs just sitting here. Uh, when I get on a roll, they just come out. I just poop them out. I don't know how, how I do it, but I do. <laughs> Just um, excreting riffs as much as possible. I, I come from the Hetfield school of guitar playing. It's all about the riff. So I'll come up with something and I'll just shelve it. And then, you know, maybe three, four weeks goes by. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can put a couple of them together. And then, oh yeah. And then, and that's how a song starts. Um, and then hopefully we're, we're writing and putting something else out. I, I'd like to not wait as long. It's been, we put out red line in 2000. 14 no was it 14 no it was, it was later than that 2019 19 somewhere like that. then we put out a live album and then uh, i'd like to i'd like to not wait as long we we i can and i can speak for the band we we like just putting records out so we can uh if we can get another one out in the next two or three years that'd be sweet yeah i think many of your fans would definitely be agreeing with you on that one that's for sure so final question i have 
And I think this is the most important question above all else. I ask this of everybody. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? Uh, well, the first one that comes to mind is Captain Crunch. Yes. <laughs> you know, munch, Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch, munch a bunch of munch. <laughs> Hands down. Yes. I'm so glad I got a response that wasn't a fucking, uh, what's his face again? Uh, Coco Dracula. What's his face? Well, he stuck into my head too, but I'm like, that guy's a fool. I don't want to be that. Guy. I be <laughs> then I started thinking about, thinking about SOD and Captain Crunch and yeah, that's where it goes. Right, well, fair enough. All right. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason. So Splintered Crowns, The Greater Good of Man, due out August of this year. Shout out anything that you have coming uh, down the pipeline, whether it's with Splintered Throne or anything you want to shout out. You have the floor. Go for it. Find us on, we're on Bandcamp. We're going to, we're on YouTube. We're on Reverb Nation. We're on Facebook. We're on all the social media that you could possibly think of out there. Um, we're trying to book some West Coast stuff, so you got a club in your area put the pin in them to have us uh have us come play and uh like us and communicate with us and i'm the webmaster so if you uh communicate with us by email or emoji or whatever you're gonna get me and uh if you buy swag it comes from the warehouse here at monkey manor and i personally package everything and i always put more shit in than you buy so um your money is well spent if you purchase merchandise directly from the band via our website at www.splinterthrone.com or Bandcamp or any of that other social media crap out there. Perfect. Fantastic. Jason, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us. That was fun. Yeah, it sure was a lot of fun. Cleaning up his internet connection, not so much. But the conversation was still a lot of fun despite all the issues, which I just want to thank Jason once again for putting up with it and powering on through despite the issues. And I'd love to have him on again sometime down the road. Who knows? Maybe we'll even end up discussing where the name JMO came from. I've still got money on it coming from his secret hip-hop group, but we'll see what he says if we do this again. You can also check out the first part of our talk with him in episode 34 of the show, and you can check out Splintered Throne. The new album is The Greater Good of Man. You should go check it out, definitely. I think I had a lot of good thoughts on the album, despite I know it's from a past time, but it still makes it its own and still does its own thing regardless of where it comes from. So definitely check it out, stream it, buy it, whatever tickles your metal fancy in that regard. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. The drums of the fire raining down upon us have signaled the end of our show today. But before we go, you should know that when we return, Greg Schwann will be back with us. Also joining us is Holly Royal of C-Squared Music Marketing and Deviant PR to talk about her band Disconnected Souls and their new single that came out this year. Plus our weekly metal news recap and more releases from the week, including Venom Inc. Stay tuned for that one. But in the meantime, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at the Metal Robot and Instagram at the dot metal robot. You can also check out everything Metal Robot on themetalrobot.com for videos, podcasts, press, and so much more. A special thanks to Greg Schwan and Chamo for coming on the show, and to our fiery co-producer Anna for keeping the robot healthy with the blood of our haters. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night. Metal Robot.